0: Amen. Um, There's certain aspects to what we just um, prayed and brought up to God uh, that reflect a lot of what we're talking about today. So having been immersed in it all week and even months before that, just kind of as it's um, part of my practice, just like get things running at like an app in the background and then you think about it um, over weeks. um, But specifically writing in this week, uh, I think you'll see that there's some really cool moments where... The words and just being before God and singing to him are really reflective of what we're gonna talk about today. So, I pray that that um, rubs off uh, in the service. So, welcome everyone. My name is Eric. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. We're glad that you're here um, and excited for us to be together here today. Um, the the Over the last... Um, couple weeks we've had it's been somewhat busy I mean there's and there's things going on behind the scenes at common ground that you know every once in a while I get to peek at and I don't always um, have in front of us like if some of you didn't know we have a a softball team that is fully functioning and uh, competing out there yeah we got (laughs) and some mascots maybe we need a mascot so I don't know what's that we're recovering all right Sounds good. Uh, the youth kids, uh, some of the, I think the youth boys, and there's some different events for, for guys and girls, but we went paintballing yesterday, so I think you'll see some pictures online and probably a few little welts on some dads and kids out here um, from yesterday. Uh, but also, uh, just this last week, I was able to participate. Um, a, a significant section of our church is a part of an organization called CMF, and um, they were doing a furlough retreat. And so I got to be a part of it. So it was one of those moments where this, this would have been happening, whether I was a part of it or not, but I got a chance and a privilege of being there and seeing it all play out. And it was really fun to see all the work that's going on there. So those of you who are at CMF, well done, good work. You probably need some recovery time. (laughs) And it was fun to see there was two locations. So I would see as we would Zoom or uh, connect online with the other group, uh, people from our church, lots of people from our church leading over here and leading on this side. And it was just Um, you know a really cool situation and then we also got a chance to dedicate the court outside which has been awesome a moment for our church to be able to stop and just see that we're creating space to overlap what happens in the community and what happens here at Common Ground and so we pray that God blesses that and creates opportunities for us to make good on um, uh, uh, serving the community and being able to be a resource um, for the neighborhoods that are around us but um we have been doing uh walking through philippians or not philippians ephesians That's, that was the last time i think um, Ephesians, uh, and I entitled that worlds collide for a specific reason um, that I've tried to bring up to us over and over, and we've been going through this chronologically, or like section by section. Today, we're going to actually make a little pit stop and address one topic that's operating behind the scenes throughout the entire um, uh, letter that Paul is writing, and it actually operates through the rest of Scripture. It's not just in Ephesians, um, but what happens in here is these three worlds, and there, I think there's a graphic, Josh, if you want to throw that up with the three circle kind of things that I wanted you all to see. And it's, it's not, um, there's no order to this, it's just that Paul's assumption or part of what he is teaching this group of people towards is that these three things are not as separate as we thought. And so he's trying to um, paint this picture that um, on the right hand, that people groups and other people groups um, that have been separated by the fall need to be reconciled together, specifically in this case, Jew and Gentile. And we're applying it to some of our modern day um, uh, uh, divisions and that he removed a dividing wall in order to accomplish that through Jesus. Then we have this spirit and human idea, this identity that we walk in, that we are not just human beings, but we also have this spiritual component to us, and an identity that God has given us, um, and our personhood that is interconnected with the rest of what we are, and it's both spiritual and physical. Now, I think, um, Josh, there should be a short video um, uploaded in there. Um, I, 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 oh, no, wait, wait, back. Oh, you, you released it too early. Uh, you're going to have to come back to that cuteness factor here in just a second, but um, I challenged uh, our church to memorize the identity statements in Ephesians 1 and then add that the last part of Ephesians 2.10, um, and so a couple of you did that. I've actually had people that told me they, they rewarded some of their kids with special meals if they were able to memorize it, um, but in this case, uh, the Camolios put together a little song, and so you get to see Evie sing a little song here, so go ahead and throw that up there. Now, Yeah. (laughs) Evie, take a bow. (laughs) She was singing it while it was happening. So I just thought it was cool to see there's different ways that we're implementing this, but this is an example of us trying to get our hearts and our heads where and with what the Spirit of God has told us we are, trying to understand this world is not so separate. The last one here is heaven and earth on the left-hand side. And it's um, uh, it's not that heaven is defined so much as a destination that we get to at the end um, of our life and that we go up or down, but this coexisting parallel realm that overlaps and interacts with the physical world that we typically think of as more real, they're coequally real and interacting, and then the fullness of those two um, worlds coming together will be what we talk about when we say the age to come um, or heaven. And um, so everywhere that I have... uh lived personally like there's these different dangers that pop up that you have to be mindful of in this region but isn't so much a thing here and and then is here and so I was thinking through all of these different things because part of the question is why is Paul making such a big deal about this spiritual overlap thing over and over well in general like as you're interacting in different worlds we've lived in Arizona and you have to constantly be mindful of things like scorpions and rattlesnakes, like if you see a stick in the road, sometimes you're like you go around or drive around, often that is a rattlesnake just sitting in the road, like often you have to assume that, you don't get out, you don't try to touch it, you don't try to move the stick around, you just kind of go around it and let it be on its way, but you have to be mindfully conscious, in fact I remember one time um, with with the scorpion when I put on a a shirt, I'm in the third story of an apartment, I put on my t-shirt and then saw something on my shirt and kind of looked around, there's a scorpion on my back now, the scary thing is that I, how did I get my shirt on without getting stung once, right? It was just like a clump on my, on my countertop, but then I like quickly got it off and then I couldn't find it. <laughs> so for weeks, I'm wondering where did the scorpion go? Um, we lived in uh, New Orleans, right? And there's literal crocodiles that you see on the side of the road, like you all see deer out here, Right? Different danger ratio there for those things. Um moccasins, right? Water moccasins if you're swimming in um you know in some sort of water thing. These are things that I just never thought of when I was in Arizona and then I came to New Orleans, I have to think about that, but I don't get to think of, I don't have to think about scorpions over here, right? When I come to Indiana, uh I man, ticks? I don't know. Falling tree branches? Is definitely a thing here. I've seen our this last windstorm. Our neighbor lost their back windshield because a, a branch came down and smashed on top of their car. Um, I've I've encountered that. Maybe there's a different animal and or thing that I should be more concerned about out here. But but here's here's my point. Just like in the physical world, there are spiritual realities that exist, sometimes regional, and I'll show you what I mean by that here in just a minute, along with these warnings. And so inside of the church at Ephesus, they live in an area that has multiple forms of cultic behavior. And so what you're seeing is there's a greater emphasis in Ephesians because Paul wants to make sure that they understand what's going on behind the scenes. They have the Artemis worship and the sacrifices going on. I didn't go so much into it before, but there is an equal uh, heavy emphasis inside of the city about magic and divination and people um, calling on spirits and stuff, fortune telling and all kinds of different things that Paul disrupts by bringing the Spirit of God into this place. And Paul is alluding to mentioning and making reference to this spiritual. Reality throughout this letter—it's been peppered, um, and I kind of pointed out here and pointed out there, pointing out in different spots. Here's where we take a little pit stop and say, "What is he even talking about?" Um, and then it's going to get referenced, and it'll actually hopefully organize a few other things from the Old Testament and New Testament for you um, as we move forward. Okay, so um, we have this supernatural side of things and this reality um, that is. directly woven into the fabric of our existence, whether we interact with that and it's good or bad, it's always a little strange, a little bit freaky, right? And in the Bible, what you see is people drop to the floor and bow down. They are often scared when when this heavenly world interacts or becomes uh, noticeable inside of the physical world. A burst of light shines in the night, and a massive choir of these otherly, uh, non-earthly beings are shouting out "Hallelujah." Now, that's beautiful in this choral stance, but also terrifying if you're shepherds just sitting in this uh, on this hillside. You see it in the Christmas story when the angel comes and speaks, uh, silencing one person and then telling Mary, you are highly favored and blessed, right? So you have these moments and these are literally like just the tip, of, tip, tip of this. It's all over. In fact, I want to give one of the most direct moments where the prophet Isaiah in chapter six says this. I don't think this made, I, uh, do I have chapter six up there? Oh yeah, cool, cool. I mean, There's a lot of verses here that I wasn't able to get to them in time. So I'll, I'll give you the ones we have and I'll read the ones that I don't. It says this, Isaiah 6, one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne. Now imagine, put yourself in what he's seeing. The Lord, Yahweh, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying and they were calling out to one another like antiphonal, back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now imagine singing that last song with this in your mind. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. This is Isaiah, the prophet, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people. Do you catch that he's communally representing a people? He's not an individual. "I I am a part of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim, all right, again, imagine this happening, flew to me with a live coal in its hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And when it touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That's a powerful sight. And in some way you saw this fabric rip open and he's getting a chance to see what this heavenly throne room looks like. You know, you have these named seraphim and I'm gonna kind of give you more about that here in just a second. Sometimes these things, these beings are a mixture of animals, right? Similar to what you'd think of like a griffin or something. They have wings or they're lions with wings, um, but it's always changing. It seems to be different combinations of animals. Sometimes they have multiple heads. There's an eagle head, a lion head, and I think ox heads at different times. And they're always trying to find earthly ways to describe them. So they call them things like sapphire and diamonds and stuff like that. The shiniest things they can think of because they're looking at something that they can't describe. And they're just trying to make comparisons to it. Um, And so what happens um, then is that you, you see these ones. There's some with thousands of eyes that aren't humanoid or animal-like at all. They just have all these eyes. In fact, someone told me, don't show that video again. If you remember that little video that I showed with what a literal angel kind of would look like or, or different types of beings would look like. Um, and so it's like, what do you, what do, you do with these things? They, they're, they're these massive, they're powerful, they're shaking the doorposts with their voice. And um, what we tend to do, uh, and I'll do a couple little drawings up here, Um, to help bring this together, is we have a specific, it's a reductionist idea of what is taking place. We think about God, right? So I'll just name name God. And then usually we think of him, and, and the other ones are like others we don't really know what to do with them but he makes uh humans right inside of this and he's got the counterpart male female thing going on and but this is usually all we think of two characters right we don't really and, and it's just us and it's God and we're trying to figure this thing out together but God is not sitting in the heavenly realm alone with himself and what we'll usually do with the rest of these people characters beings is we just call them all angels all right does that kind of does that seem kind of where we're at we tend to focus on these two um and then there's just random other things and no rhyme or reason as to what they're doing why they're doing things sometimes they pop in and uh, do something we theorize and i'll give a little bit of credibility to this in a little bit that some of the angels fell at some point uh and became bad right and so what you have is bad ones, you've got good ones. Then we pull from classic Western literature, um, imaginative renderings, right, with babies with harps, people with wings. There's actually no people with wings in any of these characters. Um, the animal type things have wings, but not the people. Um, or, or like car- caricature with the devil with the fork and all of these types of things in the pointy tail, Right you see where, where that kind of makes sense does this kind of resemble at least am i getting close to what we tend to just walk around thinking of um. Okay, so, so what, when we read the Bible, there's so much more going on behind the scenes. There's so much more information, and the first century Jewish person receiving this letter from Paul would have all of this assumed. And so what we need to do is to dig our minds and our hearts back into what they might have thought. It comes a lot from the Old Testament. In fact, this is very consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and they are operating out of a few assumptions. And so we, we read it. We tend to focus on the human God, but we have all of these others. They pop in, they deliver important messages, they break out a couple of disciples from jail. Anyone want that that angel assigned to you every once in a while? I, mean, I don't know how many of you are ending up in jail, but Paul ends up in jail and and, and legitimately breaks them out and sets them free. So Due to the uh, the 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 environment, the spiritual environment, they're not worried so much about the scorpions and snakes in Arizona. They're not worried about the water moccasins that will be one day Louisiana. They are immersed in this world of cultic magic, and um, Paul is saying you have to be aware of these things. You have to pay attention. In fact, because of that, a lot of our clues as to what this looks like comes from the book of Ephesus or the letter to Ephesus. And they exist in, again, the New Testament and Old Testament, very consistent. Now, we've already come across three of these mentions in, F, in, in the letter to the Ephesians. Um, I am going to essentially use the last one from last week as our jumping off point, and then I'll just pull in some scriptures from different places to help make sense of all of the things we're talking. So look, we're going to start, and we're going to read from the most recent from uh, Ephesians 3. Paul was describing the revealed plan of God, and he said this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the where? Heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, and through, him uh, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory, and then it says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in where? heaven and earth derives its name okay note the family language because that's going to come up again already we've learned that there are rulers and authorities which tells us some sort of structure right and it's in the heavenly realm but they're also inside of this earthly realm there is a combination of these two worlds and they're referred to as a family in two facets heaven and earth who derive their name from the same god that we all call father that's kind of interesting right we're all kind of pointing back to this one um, being here that, that we all call Father. And I never really thought of the, uh, these other things, I'll give you a name for them in just a minute, as being children of this Father as well. It just, I just didn't occur to me to think of them as family. Now, one of the first things I want you to know is that there's a few groups um, inside of this, um, this, this whole thing. And they operate, uh, I love the phrase that Bible Project uses. they operate like a cosmic staff. So uh, that would make, nah, this not, uh, well, I was gonna make an office joke. I'm gonna just leave it right there. Like, God, God never mind, never mind. I'm gonna leave it alone. I, it would come across maybe a little too irreverent for my own taste even. So um, Paul's, Uh, mindset here is that they have this cosmic staff working on behalf of God. He's got like a junior executive board, court officials, maybe judges would be a good way to talk about it, and messengers, and they take care of all of God's spiritual business. I shouldn't say all of it, but they get to be part of taking care of some of God's spiritual business. They are very organized. They are very ordered to operate according to the will of God and usually seem to be working behind the scenes except when they break through and freak us all out, right? So I'm gonna give you a full org chart. We have a three-tiered system. So get this out of your mind and think of it more like this. And who's at the top? Yahweh still. In fact, the better language is when Jesus is seated on the throne in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as... uh, Sorry, he was saying that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms... Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, four different names, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age to come, but also in the one to come. So he's using space and time language now. Not just this world and that world, they're they're together, but also there's an age to come when the fullness will be brought together. And he's like, both No matter where or when this happens, he is always the one enthroned above them all. So you have this Trinitarian God that we call Yahweh. He's at the very top. Then the Old Testament um, reminds us that they have this family household like we're sons and daughters of god there's this other group of people that are commonly referred to as the sons of god and you probably come across it in your old testament and you don't know what to do with it so you're just like i don't, I don't know what he's referring to i don't know what's happening right there so his family household is the next in this hierarchy and then the third one so i'll, I'll come back and give some more um uh to to this one the lowest on this group are the angels. So three whole tiers inside of it, and these guys answer to, all to Yahweh. But there's some bit of structure where we see that these ones operate together. Now, um, we, I want you to exchange a term that more recently was kind of discovered in Hebrew scholarship. Um, whereas we like to call these all angels, these two tiers, right? They're all actually, including God himself, called Elohim. And God gets the big E, Elohim. So I'm going to refer to all of these. Elohim is a very simple, it, it, it caused a lot, we didn't know what to do. Have you ever read in the scriptures where it uses the word gods and it's in lowercase g? That's this word Elohim being translated, but they don't know what to do with it because at some point we just decided that word means God, but really what it means is um, Uh, spiritual beings or or um one scholar called them disembodied beings so they have this existence they can have bodies but they don't necessarily have to and the very lowest on this uh i feel weird talking like there could be an angel hanging out with us you know right now just chilling and he's like oh i'm the bottom of the tier bro come on so we have yahweh at the top all of these are elohim and then you've heard of these ones called cherubs i think i have the i might spell that wrong um, or seraphim, and they kind of exist in this world. Um, they, they, they uh, but 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 the overall um, you have you have the term heavenly hosts. You have the term sons of God. But the overall term here is the divine council. And if you're familiar with your scriptures, I'll point out a couple of moments when they pop through. These are the ones that are considered the sons of God in the scripture. These are the ones that have this family status. We don't have that same description with angels. We may incorporate them or we may not. But in all of these things, we have all of these Elohim that are operating in this other world that's the spiritual realm. Um, if you have been in that situation where you're like i thought elohim was just a name of god Um, this guy by the name of michael heiser he passed away but wrote a really cool book wherein it occurred to him um, that that word was being used wrong and so the term elohim is like dad or mom Um, you would use it in direct uh, address if you knew that person and everyone in the room knew oh this is mom but if you take that and scream it out at the zoo, you're going to have like 18 people turn around and be like, mom, who, who, mom, they're looking for that. So it's a title, it is um, a, a, uh, a, a status maybe even, but it is also a name, and it's one of the few times, Lord, it can work in the same way. So there is a mom of moms. My wife is the mom of moms in our household, at least, right? Does that make sense? So this term Elohim gets used like this, and um, Uh, the Elohim is any spiritual being disembodied being that we have there are three tiers inside of this group but now there's some inter-tier things going on on the inside because we have at least two angels that are named does anyone remember any of their names Gabriel one more Michael um, they're named. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have higher status, but there is kind of a sense that they're art- archangels. Like there's some sort of like headness or leadership to them that they have inside of that world. So, so the divine council is this first group of people, and this is what you see them doing in the scriptures. Um, they were at creation, praising God and acting like like a hype crew for him, like literally cheering him on as he's making things like, yeah, rivers, right? He made the sun, and they're, they're just excited to be there and, and cheering God on at creation. Then, then in this next situation, you see him go to this divine council and ask him how they would like to handle certain situations. One is specifically a king that did some, um, some real dirty work on earth. Well, how do you want to do this? And they come up with a plan. They're actually counseled. And in the midst of that moment, if you've ever read Job, there's a point where the adversary goes in and asks for permission amongst another group of people if he can sift Job and God gives him permission. These are all moments where the godly counsel pops through. Now, now I don't think God needs the godly counsel to make decisions, um, but again, who is the family of God? We are. And just like we get... We get privileged. We get to be a part of the plan of God. He doesn't need us. We just get invited. There's a similar sense where these uh, Elohim, these beings, also just get privileged to be invited into doing God's work here, pulling out his plan, his mission, and enacting that. The cherubim and seraphim, which are a part of this divine council, are like hybrid creatures. They re- resemble mixtures of animals, lions, eagles, winged creatures, but they operate as guardians and are meant to be intimidating, which is why they're a little bit scary looking. And then the angels, including Michael and Gabriel, are divine messengers. In fact, that word angel means literally just messenger. So the next question is, well, what about these other ones, the bad ones? Where where what are demons? Well, categorically, demons and the Satan, uh, it's a title, thus, thus Satan, not, not his name, um, but the adversary, are a part of these groups and at some point left or rebelled, departed from what was going on over here, and they have their own world off to the side. And before we get into specifically what it is that they're doing and how they're interacting with the world, I want us to look a little quick deeper into the heaven and earth paradigm. Make sure I don't knock anything down. And so for this moment, I know I've been trying it like they're together, they're together, they're together. Separate them for just two seconds with me, okay? Heavenly realm, earthly realm. This is going to sound real sci-fi, not because it is sci-fi, but because it's like the only place where we have imagination for different worlds that interact. So if you're a Marvel fan, you're about to geek out real hardcore on this situation. You have heaven and you have earth, like two different dimensions, operating and interacting together. And inside of this this world, you have uh, these certain things on earth that represent things that are happening here in the heavens. Um, so, So again, parallel worlds. In every ancient civilization, you have a moment where somebody looks up in the sky and says, that sun seems real powerful. That thing's name is Ra. That thing's name is Baal. That thing's name—it's—it's—it's it's, it's moving, so it's got to be alive. You see the the moon, and one seems to be stronger than the other. So certainly there is a hierarchy. and Then you have all the stars, and eventually you start to see pictures, constellations in the stars. Like oh, that's that's a ra-. so there's there's like a ram god. There's another God that looks kind of like, you know, this, this lion laying down. Its name is Leo. And so the Romans have versions of it. The Greeks have versions of it. Here is the, um, the overlap and the twist is that so did the ancient Hebrews, but they did not think the things in the sky were the gods. They just thought they were images, representations meant to point us towards something else. So they look up in the sky and they know something's going on, but they're meant to be representations. So here's my quick best. Here's all the stars in the sky. I'll give you a couple little guys like this, right? Little stars everywhere. And those, um, those stars have representations um, because they are the Elohim. And I'm not gonna draw uh, half-creature things for you over here, so just kind of imagine them here. And you have the divine council who's a little bit closer up here with God, and I'll give you that representation. Then you got the angels who seem to kind of come down and hang out down here. They're the ones that are often sent to come and hang out with the humans. Um, and so, so what you have is these, this three-tiered system, Yahweh, the divine council, and then these other uh, angels, all Elohim, hanging out and they're looking up and representing these things. The representations don't stop there. Here's, here's a few more that I think are important for you to understand as we see our literal world um, replicating or imaging this divine world. The tabernacle and the temple was the earthly image, so imag- this is my best temple that I've got for you right now. Imagine the temple, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which is where there's the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is, and they would put depictions of different uh, Elohim and angelic and uh, divine council people, and that represented what we just read in Isaiah. So he has a dwelling place. And, and in fact, so that we don't forget that this holy place is super sacred and super holy, I'm going to make sure that there are plenty of angelic-looking things around you. So when that priest enters in, he sees on the Ark of the Covenant two Elohim, I think they're cherubs, whose wings touch because the cherubs are guardians. And he wants them to know this is not to be taken lightly. In fact, you are earthly representing what is happening in the heavenly realm. So we have a dwelling place in the temple— we look up in the sky and realize that our stars, sun, and moon represent these Elohim at their different powerful, you, you remember seeing things like morning star, that's the bright ones. So they seem to be a little bit stronger than all the rest of the little ones scattered around, right? So we have this sun, this moon, the morning star, and all these different things. Um, the the um, watery depths even as we would go out, and you, know, you know, as uh, in this ancient Near East thing, they would go out in the oceans and they thought they were floating above Sheol or what we commonly would refer to as hell. So there is this Sheol place that exists here and that is the realm or uh, the, uh, uh, the waters and whatever, as far, if you could go deep enough, there was kind of that representation, which is why Jonah goes to the bottom of the ocean in this whale and he says, I am, I am in Sheol. I'm, I'm, I'm done, it's over, it's all gone because he thought that's where he was being taken to. Um, okay, so do you see that we have these two worlds that resemble each other? They actually um, have these images. Well, here's a quick pop quiz. Who over here represents Yahweh? Who's God? It's, it's interesting when you think of it this way. Cause I framed it in a way that you wouldn't fully catch it, but I saw one person make a point. We are, we're the image of God. That's what that means. So in this imaging system, God decided to put himself in us so that we could represent, which is why we have dominion and power. So there's an org chart for the family of God here that we would oversee all of creation. And there's an org chart over here wherein these guys are somehow organized. And later on in Ephesians 6, powers, principalities, you're going to see him refer to this. Now, um this is also uh when you see that the stars once once you have that in your head these are representations everything physical is a representation of what's happening in the heavenly realm divine counsel angels all these things now listen to revelation twelve three through 4 it says then another sign appeared in heaven this is a vision that john's having an enormous red dragon which should remind you of another serpent right uh in the in the garden with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns, there's a lot of imagery we can't go into, but check this out. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. Do you see what he's saying now? He, this, this is where we get the idea that a third of the angels rebelled. And I think using this paradigm, it actually comes together pretty nice. and makes a lot of sense, okay? So um, the serpent imagery is mixed in there, but we have these Elohim doing these things. Listen to Isaiah How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. They're talking about the adversary. Genesis 6 records another part of this rebellion and back in Ephesians in chapter two, verse two, if you remember this, it said this. In which you used to live, he's talking to um, those who were a part of the world and now have come out of it. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Well, yeah, that's because we think the representation is the adversary, the rebel who's now in the air, okay? The spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, um, he, let me make one point and then we will close up for, for the day. Um, there's, there's ways of using this, um, applying it to make sense of that weird moment where there's giants on earth. Um, the Nephilim, if you've ever come across that and just thought, what's going on here? I don't know, just keep reading Um, And this idea that we were all kicked out of Eden, and we have these rebels, humans, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we have our own rebellion. And at times, the rebels of Elohim work together with the rebels of humanity and embed them into their structures, and turn them into different parts. Uh, the, one of the main collabs between the rebel humans and the rebel Elohim is the Tower of Babel where they try to build something so high we can reach the heavens and take that thing back over. And what does God do? He scatters them. He separates their languages, puts them out. And then later Moses tells us that in the midst of it, it's this moment where he hands the nations over to the rebel Elohim. And so we have this sense that different Elohim that went, went wild are over certain cities. So revelation to the, to the angel of the city of blank. He's talking to the good Elohim. Do this but there's also negative ones that are out there and they begin worshiping the gods of sex and money and power and military might and all of these things that we could do to consolidate power. Moses is the one who first calls them demons and all they're doing is just trying to enact as much chaos as they can. God ordered the earth in a certain way. They are trying to disorder it, scramble it, mess the whole thing up and they're gonna do that on both a personal level and in a communal level. So what does that look like? Well, temptation towards sin, tormenting people. They uh, become things to be worshipped. They try to present themselves, befriend humans, and in the same way, they try to do the same thing. Embed themselves in cultures, into cities, into structural systems to tempt, torment, lead astray, worship things like sex, money, power, gain national favor through money and fortunes, powers, putting others in bondage. Egypt should come to mind. Babel should come to mind, and we still are in this age now where we are interacting in a world where we are pushing against those powers in our time. Now, I'm going to read one more verse, um, and then we'll pray and be done, because this can be super intimidating. When you start to think, like, wait a minute, there's, like... All these rebels around trying to disrupt and and, and enact chaos in the midst of what we're doing. What do we do with all of these things? Well, um, we'll teach more deeply on it, but in Ephesians 6 it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Which operates in a couple ways because that means don't make enemies of the people around you. They aren't the real enemy. Deal with the spiritual thing that's going on. Now, sometimes you have to deal with the system and the structure that's going on in the midst of that, but you see what's going on. Like, they're the problem. We are all the prize. So love each other and try to work together. Uh, These spiritual tools are given so that, and it says in here, so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against these things. So we have this ability to take a stand and then there's a list of armor that is given to us and the only weapon, which is the word of God, the sword of truth. So as he gets to these things later on, you're going to have to recall all of this framework, all of this structure that is happening behind the scenes. When Paul is referencing these things, what he's doing, and take the Tower of Babel as your example, because what's he doing through this letter? There is an ethnic group that has been divided And he is bringing them together. So when it says that we are here to represent the manifold wisdom of God, even to the angels who are looking down in awe and with every act of unity, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. We are saying, I refuse to participate in the doctrine of demons because they're trying to separate us. They're trying to divide us interpersonally in the churches um, as the nations and the things that they're doing. They're trying to use the nations for their bidding. And God is saying, look, you have to pay attention to these Ephesians. This is high, highly um, uh, immersed in your world. Pay attention to this. These things are dangerous. But also, there is a heavenly supernatural protective measure. And who sits at the top of the throne? It's on the other side now. We have to remember that Yahweh is at the top of that throne, so we don't fear these things. In fact, we have the ability to resist these things, but then we're also seeing that they're embedded in the world systems, and so we push against those things, and we act like those who have been changed by the gospel, seeking out unity, loving people, even when they don't love us, even if they're our enemies, and we have all of these moments to enact that and put it on display, not only for the angels, but for the world around us so that they can begin to follow the king who is Yahweh as well. Okay, we are uniquely made as the image bearers of God. We have been empowered to do something significant no matter what force tries to stand against us so that we can do the work of ministry, do the work of evangelism, do the work of teaching uh, the things of God, of reconciliation and building into us the identity that God has given us and Evie sing about today. Walk out of here with that power. M- and maybe, maybe you didn't realize the power because you didn't realize what you were actually up against behind the scenes. Now you know, but also know that you have been adequately and over and abundantly empowered to engage in this battle with the power of God behind you. So let me pray for that. Let me pray for us to be unified. Let me pray for us to push against this thing, to resist this person, and to walk in the spiritual power that God has given us. Father, thank you for um, helping us to understand and be aware of the things that are around us, God, but thank you even more so that in the end you are above and beyond all things. This is why it says how high, how wide, how far, how deep, how, we can't even measure your power. And at every turn, every scheme of the enemy, every lie, you have a way of turning death into resurrection. So Lord, in any battle we're facing right now personally, would you turn that battle into resurrection power? God, at times we need these uh, Elohim, the good ones to come and help and fortify. And so Lord, we invite whoever you wanna send our way, but ultimately we point, they just point back to you. (laughs) And so Father, allow us to be aware of this spiritual realm, the heavenly, how it interacts with what we're doing, to be completely and utterly unafraid. But because we stand on your authority, May we look up at the sky and be reminded of your power and your vast creative capabilities. And may we look at your word to inform us, our faith to defend us, the gospel of peace that breaks down strongholds and dividing walls so that we can proclaim the good news of your gospel to the nations and to each other, Lord. If there are um, personal uh, divisions, God, would you heal them inside of our church? If there are divisions between us and other churches around us, God, would you heal those things? If there are divisions in our city, would you help us to heal those things, God? If there are divisions between nations, then we trust that you are the healing power to bring the nations back together. And so until it comes, let us be that representative here on earth. And we ask for all of these things right now, powerfully in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Amen.